I'm Kate Daniels. We have Ravi Hutchising here to join us this morning, bringing some perspectives and hope to us as parents and educators as we navigate with our youth the path of moving on after college graduation, but also creating the educational conditions to be well-prepared to navigate life, which is very simply in perpetual change. Ravi is a culture catalyst, a keynote speaker, and an author. And his book is Pivot, which gives us some terrific insights that you'll be hearing in just a moment. Ravi Hutch Singh, good morning, and thank you so greatly for being with us, actually, once again. Good morning, Kate. It's uh, really nice to be back with you. And, you know, the timing is good. When we spoke some months ago, actually half a year ago, uh, we were certainly in the midst of the pandemic. We just weren't able to even see what the future was looking like. Not that we do have a crystal ball, but here we are and we're feeling, I think, somewhat hopeful that the pandemic is somewhat uh, under control. We kind of have a sense of that. And uh, this is also the time as uh, school has wound down, graduate graduations happened, and we're thinking about our youth and at various stages of their education, what they're looking forward to in terms of uh, the next months and and their future going forward. So this is really so ideal to be able to speak to you because of of all your involvement with cross-cultural education and really, you know, having a vision of what's important for, for our youth, for our world, ultimately. So what do you feel this pandemic has done to impact students and their education and their look to the future? Well, you know, I mean, it's been such a challenging time for education. And, you know, depending on whether you're in the Northern Hemisphere or Southern Hemisphere, you know, looking at this on a global level, it's impacted education in different ways because of the school year cycles. And, you know, summer vacation up here is in July and August and summer vacation in the Southern Hemisphere is December, January. So, you know, for the folks in the Southern Hemisphere, you know, they've been out of school now for more than a year. And then when you look at Latin America, the pandemic is still raging in, in, in places like India. And, you know, now Europe uh, is opening up. But of course, there's uh, this Delta variant that's coming into the UK. And now they're talking about it coming to the US. So I wish we had a crystal ball because there's really no telling what's going to happen. But all all we can do is look at what's happening now. And certainly uh, things are opening up here in the United States and we can be very grateful and thankful for that and just hope that uh, we continue on this path of recovery. And, you know, for our students, it's a tricky time because those who graduated um, from college and university in 2020 graduated into this midst of a pandemic and things were getting worse and worse. Whereas the 2021 graduates are also graduating into a pandemic, but where it's getting better and better. So I think prospects are, are much more hopeful for the 2021 graduates than they were for last year's graduates, with one exception, which is that the 2021 graduates have a lot more competition in the field because a lot of those 2020 graduates are still looking for jobs. But I think, you know, we, we should be optimistic. I think there's a lot of good reasons to be cautiously optimistic, and, and so we should be. And we need to be. I mean, to have the other side of that coin is not going to be any kind of foundation to stand on going forward. 
Yes, correct. I mean, you know, um, we really have to be looking towards the future. And, of course, the youth are always looking towards the future, especially when they graduate, because they have so many dreams and desires. And, and that's one of the tricky parts of what's happened now, though I think the pandemic has brought it to light. But in reality, preparing students for an unpredictable tomorrow, which is the subtitle of my book, Pivot, you know, is really essential. But it's always been unpredictable because technology and globalization and artificial intelligence has caused the world to shift and the job market to shift. So, you know, when a student chooses their major as they're going into college and figuring out what they want to do, they may have to pivot because the world might have changed by the time they graduate. And I think that's what a lot of today's graduates are facing. And certainly that. I don't know if we've really had a chance to kind of adjust to that because change is happening at such a more rapid pace these days than it did in, say, even 20 years ago and such. So there's been a a little bit of perhaps anticipation of that. But have we really prepared our kids, our students, for this? Well, you know, in in my book, you know, it's really talking about how we empower students to succeed through an unpredictable future. And, you know, the way that we prepare them to do that, in my belief and in, in the system that I lay out in the book, is that we, school in general, whether it's kindergarten through 12th or even um, at the collegiate level, it really has one job, which is to teach all students how to be lifelong learners because we can't possibly give every student everything that they need to know for the rest of their lives within 20 years of education. You know, the um, the director of the Lab on Aging at the Harvard Medical School says the first person to live to 150 has already been born. And when we put it in that perspective, you know, that means that there's a lot of lifelong learning that has to happen after the age of 22 when you get your, uh, you know, your bachelor's degree or 20 when you get your associate's degree or you know, 24 with a master's or however you lay out your education plan. The bottom line is we need to be learning throughout our lives in order to navigate and be able to pivot through the unpredictability of the future. And that is the primary job in my perception and what education should be. So you do a lot of work with schools. You do address large groups of educators. And do you find that they already have an awareness of this? Or is this like new information that we need to be preparing our kids for lifelong learning? You know, it's lifelong learning is something we've been talking about for a long time and personalized learning. So the awareness is there. The conversation has been going on for uh, at least as long as I've been keynote speaking in education, which is uh, since about 2015. So you know, the conversation of, of how do we uh, create lifelong learners and how do we use technology for personalized learning uh, is very familiar to educators all around the world. However, none of it was really put into action until the pandemic hit. And then it all had to be put into action overnight. And we figured out in many ways we were grossly unprepared despite having had this conversation for a long time. And in other ways, we found that actually it really works. And people that were apprehensive and um, maybe intimidated by the technology, many teachers were intimidated, were, they had no other option. And they learned it. And I think that um, while the integration of this under the forced situation of the pandemic maybe cause greater disparity in many ways in education. Uh, It has also highlighted ways that we can 
repair that disparity and close that gap and make sure that an equitable education is accessible for all. And that is one of the keys here is to ensure that we have this equitable opportunity for our students. And yes, um, we certainly found that as the pandemic first hit, so just over a year ago, you know, there was we didn't know how to pivot very well. I think we really struggled until we got something in place. But then we saw that there were these gaps. And I don't know that we've really remedied that. We haven't fixed that yet, have we? Well, we haven't. But, you know, one of the main ones is just making sure that um, good broadband Internet is available to everyone. And, you know, just this week, the Biden administration talked about how that specific aspect is a fundamental component of an infrastructure plan. So it's good that it's being talked about at that level because the pandemic really brought it to light that, you know, not everybody has access to broadband Internet. So therefore, children did not have equal access to their education. And um, it's not just the most impoverished areas. You know, we even found that uh, many parts of Middle America and people that had adequate broadband Internet access didn't have adequate broadband access when three kids and two parents and Mm -hmm. everybody was at home using it, uh, along with mobile phones and, you know, smart homes and electrical outlets and smart TVs, (laughs) everything tapping into the Internet at the same time. All of a sudden, what we even thought was satisfactory turned out to not be adequate to make sure that kids are able to get their education and parents are able to work from home. So this is a very, very important initiative Uh, that's coming now from the top, and it's bringing attention to something that I think is really very much a 21st century need. So it is possible to have that. So we just need to then be on board, realize how critical it is to our lives and to our future to make sure that it happens. Yeah, it really is. It's definitely possible. But what's interesting, I talk about this in the book because I think it gives an interesting global perspective on infrastructure, which is, you know, the countries uh, like the United States that really thrived in the Industrial Revolution um, laid down an infrastructure that has really served us very well, Uh, whereas countries like Chile or India, uh, they didn't have, you know, this vast network of landline telephones, and they didn't have this vast network of aviation, uh, VOR navigation, and, you know, all these types of things that Uh, the United States had, and that that really put us ahead. But what's interesting is now as the technology changes, things like global positioning systems, uh, GPS systems, and uh, internet systems and satellite-based things are even more accessible to those other countries like India and Chile. It's called the leapfrog effect. And they can leapfrog right over us because we are so attached to our infrastructure that is now antiquated. So what put us ahead you know, what was our asset is perhaps now our liability. And on the flip side for other countries, what was their liability has now become their asset. And that presents the kind of danger that anyone, and thus a country, is susceptible to, is not to ever get to a point of thinking, ah, I've reached this wonderful place and now I can rest on my laurels. We just can never do that. Well, that's right. And that's why, you know, the book and and so much of what I talk about is the most overused word of the year, pivot. (laughs) We all have to pivot, including countries and education systems, individuals. 
that is, in my opinion, the, the key to succeeding and navigating an unpredictable future. It doesn't matter whether you're a massive company or just a, a, a single person living somewhere. That is the required skill to make sure that uh, you can be a lifelong learner and that you can navigate all these unpredictable times. So let's mention this about this really important book, Pivot, Empowering Students Today to Succeed in an Unpredictable Tomorrow. On your website, you offer volume discounts to educators, to schools, because it is so critically important for these institutions and to share with families and make it just that much better known so we all have a foundation to have a important conversation from. And by having it available at this bulk discount, it makes it, well, more affordable for everyone. Yeah, well, I hope so. And, and certainly, you know, a lot of schools have taken advantage of that school systems uh, by, the, by the hundreds. Uh, you know, Indiana School Boards Association bought thousands uh, to distribute throughout the state of Indiana. So, you know, I'm really trying to make that an option and make it viable for uh, everything from, you know, a, a local school to their entire school system to an entire state organization. Um, I think it's a very important discussion to have. And in many ways, you know, a lot of these organizations that buy them are also the ones that have hired me to give keynotes to their organization. So there's a, a nice relationship between the book and my keynote speeches as well. And what I'm really excited, uh, this is actually probably the first place where I'm announcing this because we're in the final stages of the pre-production for a new book. It's the same book, actually, but the subtitle is Empowering Yourself to Succeed, you know, Empowering Yourself Today to Succeed in an Unpredictable Tomorrow. And that's geared towards the students. It's a student version of the book because teachers have asked me if they can use the book in the classroom. And I thought that would be great, but let me rewrite it to speak directly to the students so that both books work as companions. So part of the bulk book buys that you're referring to that schools can make and systems can make starting in October when the new version is released will also include, hopefully complimentary, that's my intention, versions that the students can have. So I'd love to see every student have a copy of that and to be using them in schools. And that is what we call really common sense education. Well, I hope so. I, I just think that, um, you know, there has to be a lot of synergy and connection between what the students are thinking and what the parents and teachers are thinking. So really, the current book is targeting educators, and I define educators as not just teachers, but also parents, school administrators, counselors, almost any adult that, you know, really uh, has an influence on today's youth. And then, so the new version is targeting two different groups. One is the students, so it really speaks directly to them, and that will facilitate that conversation with their parents and with their teachers. But also, the, that version speaks to entrepreneurs. And the reason why that, to me, makes a lot of sense is because I believe that every student needs to obtain an entrepreneurial mindset. That's a key part of being able to pivot for the future as well. So the message to entrepreneurs and the message to students is very much the same, empowering yourself and your ideas in order to be successful, not just for yourself, but also to be social entrepreneurs and make the world a better place. And this is where I think we've had the challenge of how to make what goes on in classrooms 
so relevant that our youth are so engaged that they they can't wait to be there and they want to take what they learn and put it into action. And this feels like it's going to really get us closer to that place and maybe really be that launching pad. Well, here's what's interesting that's come out of the pandemic is that now because we're we're so much better acquainted with technology within education because we've had to be, there's a, a, a sort of a natural movement going towards a hybrid education. And that can be defined in two ways. A hybrid education can be half of the classes online and half of the classes in person, which has been necessary due to social distancing and things like that. But that's very, very difficult for teachers. It's very unfair to students in many ways. And I think that most of the education community that I speak to finds that to be uh, burdensome and not really benefit the student. But the hybrid education that I would like to see, and I think we can get there, is where the lectures and the teachers standing up in front of a group of students do that online. There's no reason for everybody to be in a classroom to face forward and listen to somebody talk to them or write on a blackboard or on a smartboard. What the classroom time should be is the lab experiment. It's the collaborative time, the social time, the opportunities for kids to work together on their projects. And that, I think, would make every kid enjoy coming to school each day and using their hands and using their minds in order to create and experiment and solve problems uh, in ways rather than sitting there looking through books and listening to teachers. And that really does seem like a very logical, common-sense approach to it. Do you feel that that will be embraced, that we are going to see this coming sooner rather than, uh, you know, in a decade's time? Well, I mean, if I have anything to do with it and if I can encourage that, I sincerely hope so. And I do think it will. I think there's a lot of evidence that, that teachers are thinking this way and that administrators are recognizing the value of that. I mean, what I just described is, has been referred to as the flipped classroom. And that's been, again, something we've talked about for a long time, but hasn't really been implemented. So now is the opportunity to really implement it, I think, on a broader scale. And I think that is just uh, one of the greatest services that we could do for our students because education will become fun. It'll become collaborative. It'll develop all of those soft skills of, and the people skills that employers today are saying that their candidates are lacking, you know, the opportunity to work as a team and to show some of those leadership and responsibility skills. So, you know, that's the real opportunity as we get back into the classroom in-person learning environment is to make it as collaborative and really as social as it can be. And from that, we're going to really, I feel, and what you are seeking is to really be building a solid competence in our youth, which is part of pivoting, is to just know how to handle themselves as things come up and uh, be able to think through situations rather than just uh, react emotionally. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, that definitely comes with its challenges. I mean, there are some major shifts that we need to make in order to make that uh, possibility become reality. And one of them is the way that we grade. Uh, The grading system isn't really conducive, and the testing systems that we have, standardized testing, isn't really conducive to allowing that type of environment that I just described to really thrive. So one of the things I talk to educators about a lot is that we really need to incorporate more formative assessment rather than just summative assessment in terms of how we evaluate our students. And, you know, one of the examples I give them is uh, 
when a chef is cooking, when the chef tastes the soup, well, that's a formative assessment. When the customer tastes the soup, tastes the soup that's a summative assessment. In other words, it's too late by the time the customer tastes the soup. But when the chef tastes the soup, then he's still able to make adjustments, and he's still able to make the soup even better. Well, that soup is the student, and that chef is the teacher. And that's the opportunity. If we go into a formative assessment, it becomes more of a self-evaluation for the teacher to figure out how to better serve that student and to shift before they do the summative assessment. And that summative assessment is really a great way to communicate to parents how their child is doing in school. So there's definitely place for the summative assessment, but we have to understand that that formative assessment needs to be a bigger part of the uh, teacher's role in making sure that the curriculum is providing the greatest benefits to the students. So this feels hopeful as we are moving forward, and we've had some on-the-job experience, life experience going on to to really help us uh, use that going forward. For our current graduates and last year's graduates, as we said early on, uh, that, you know, here are going to be two years of graduating college seniors vying for jobs, I would think that a way for them to maybe deal with it and maybe make themselves stand out is reading the book themselves. Yes, it's from more of an educator's standpoint, but it really is beneficial to any of us. We can make it applicable to our lives. Wouldn't that be a source of helping them to, you know, really get a step up? Well, I mean, I really appreciate you saying that. I, I certainly feel that way. And, and um, you know, the book is very autobiographical in many ways. And so I think students can relate to it. Uh, you know, my educational journey was not traditional. It was not without many challenges. And so I think a lot of students can recognize that while they are put into what seems like a fairly rigid system, uh, they can also take ownership of their own education and make sure that they design it in a way that works best for them. I mean, ultimately, it's their, our lives are our own responsibility. We are responsible for uh, the choices that we make and ultimately the outcomes that, that uh, we have. So I encourage students to really take uh, ownership of their education at an early age, but to do it smartly. And I think that the book uh, emphasizes that, and I think it showcases the ways to do that. You know, at the end, end of every chapter, I have pivot points. And those extract the main points from that chapter that I think that uh, teachers and parents and, and certainly in the new version, then students and entre- entrepreneurs can put those into action immediately and start reaping the benefits of some of these life lessons that I've learned and that I can share with them. And uh, that's the reason why I wrote the book is, you know, not, I didn't write it for myself. I wrote it because I would love to see every student have the same type of opportunities and experiences and confidence to design their future, you know, in the way that I did. Yes, exactly. That we can really become more that master or mistress of our destiny, of our futures. And you do this throughout the book, you know, these are such great chapter titles. And one of them being becoming a global citizen, which has always been important, but even now, more critically, how we see, you know, our planet is really just this very small community of people, and 
we need for us to survive and thrive, not just survive, thrive, we need to have embrace that, do we not? You know, absolutely. And that's one thing that I think the pandemic has brought to light, you know, more than any other event in our history, maybe, or at least our recent history, which is that we are all connected. I mean, the entire world, uh, it doesn't matter where you live in the world. It doesn't matter uh, what age or what generation you're part of. We have all faced this pandemic together with very similar challenges, very similar obstacles, you know, similar sadness and similar recovery. Uh, you know, it's it's all happening somewhat together. The timelines are a little different from, from region to region, but we are learning from each other. We are noticing what each other is doing. We are listening to each other. And I think that really demonstrates that we are one world and that it is essential to become a global citizen if we're going to function in one world because the world is your oyster, you know, as, as the saying goes. The world is filled with opportunities that are going to shift from region to region. And today's successful graduate has to be able to look beyond his or her own borders and see those opportunities that are around maybe perhaps somewhere else in the world today, but perhaps back home tomorrow. And you certainly have been nurturing that kind of a seed as well, I think, with your project, Ravi Unites Schools, by connecting through video conferencing classrooms in various parts of the world. Yeah, that's right. It's all real-time audio-video interactions. And the real t- putting it in real-time is what's really important because when you have kids in one part of the world interacting live with kids in another part of the world, and, you know, I usually start them off with a little bit of scripts, but they create their own questions. You know, before long, they're getting off their own questions and they're just being genuinely curious. And that's what's wonderful for me to witness is, you know, that, that students, when given that opportunity, and this can be, you know, six, seven-year-olds or it can be 17, 18-year-olds, 17, when given the opportunity to be curious, they are going to learn from others. Uh, through peer-to-peer opportunities. And so what Ravi Unite Schools creates on a global level is that peer-to-peer opportunity where an entire classroom in the United States can connect with an entire classroom in India, and they initially discover within minutes how much they have in common, which makes them genuinely interested in seeking and discovering each other's differences. And that is really what we need to encourage, build upon. And then I really believe we move closer to having this really peaceful global community. Well, I do too, you know, and and the book, I think the summary of the book is, uh, and one of the chapters is World Peace is Possible. World Peace is Possible, if we make it profitable, that is. And that's where some of the social entrepreneurship comes in. And you know, I believe we have war because war is profitable. But in, through all my travels and work that I've done, which includes uh, places like Russia and Iraq and you know countries that are very familiar to U.S. citizens through the news, but many of us haven't traveled to these places. But I've been fortunate enough to go to these countries, China, Lebanon, you know, you name it. And the one thing that I realize is, you know, everybody has dreams and everybody wants to live in peace. It, it's politicians and corporations that ultimately profit off of off of war. 
but I think our average citizen just wants to live a peaceful life, no matter what country you're a citizen of. So I think that it's very important to recognize that, and that's one of my main objectives uh, with filming the, the experiences that I've had. That's one of the main objectives in the book, but that's also a real key objective of the Ravi United Schools Project, is for all of these students at a relatively young time in their lives to recognize how much they have in common with those on the other side of the world that may seem so far. So we need to be part of this very peaceful revolution and get a copy of the book. Start now. Don't wait for it to appear at the school and get moving forward. And we can get uh, these copies, of course, at uh, our favorite bookstores or at your website as well, Ravi. So let's mention that website. Yes, it's Ravi Unites. Dot com. That's R-A-V-I-U-N-I-T-E-S dot com, because ultimately that's what it's about, uniting people and bringing people together for the greater good. So I invite everybody to come to RobbyUnites.com. They can read about the book. Uh, I also have a blog up there and lots of other information that hopefully will inspire them to think bigger and uh, really recognize what they can do for their communities and the youth of the world. And that makes us feel so much more hopeful and optimistic for each of our futures, our collective future. I hope so. I believe so. You know, that's, as I always tell my audiences, you know, I have the greatest job in the world because I get to be an optimist and an idealist. And I think that's important because uh, we need people to put the vision out there. But it's those educators and, you know, they're the ones with all the accountability. And so I have so much admiration and appreciation for my audiences because they are the ones that really make a difference. And they're the ones that can assess this optimism and idealism and figure out the ways to put that into their classrooms in order to create a very positive future for today's leaders, tomorrow's leaders and youth around the world. Indeed. Well, too quickly, our time goes by, but it's been so wonderful to have you with us and all this inspiring information. Ravi Hattasingh, thank you so greatly for being the inspiring leader that you are. Well, thank you, Kate. I really appreciate the opportunity.